Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Being we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! Hey there, this is your mad prophet of the airwaves and welcome once again to Radio Free Canada. News, notes and opinions from the underground for Friday, September the 16th in the year of our Lord 2022. It's Friday, we made it. Some of us just barely. It's a struggle out there for many of you, I know. As the Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. There may actually be some good news, sort of, on the horizon. According to the head of one of Canada's biggest grocery chains, the worst of food inflation may be over. And I'm reading in today's Financial Post, Michael Medline, CEO of Sobeys, parent company, get this, the name of parent, uh, Sobeys parent company, Empire. <laughs> Michael Medline, CEO of Sobeys parent company, Empire, says while he's not a soothsayer, He hopes the waves of cost increases are slowing down appreciably. The uh, clash between food producers, those would be farmers, and uh, big grocers have been common during the past year and a half of rising inflation as both sides bickered, sometimes publicly, over who should be shouldering the brunt of higher costs for fuel, commodities, and labor. Medline's comments echo remarks made by Galen Weston, chief executive at Loblaw Companies, who said in July that he was starting to see signs of, quote, stabilization. So we'll hang on to that. Many of us hanging by our fingernails. Fifty illegal migrants landing in Martha's Vineyard. 
courtesy of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. That's all it took. Fifty. To expose the utter and complete and shameful hypocrisy of the left and the Democratic Party in the United States. Fifty. So the governor of Massachusetts brings in the National Guard and essentially evicts or deports those 50 migrants, getting them off the island. And a number of people on social media today asking a very good question. Martha's Vineyard, why couldn't the Obamas have housed those 50 migrants in their $12 million mansion? Well, I'll tell you, because the left and the Dems don't really care about illegal immigrants. And Ron DeSantis has exposed them, the lefts and the Dems, once and for all. This is final proof. This is the final word on the Dems and the left and illegal immigration. The Dems and the left, they're all for illegal immigration, unless, of course, it's in their backyard. And it's estimated that since... Joe Biden was sworn in as president. Approximately three and a half million illegals, three and a half million have crossed the southern border into the United States. Uh, But don't believe your lying eyes. Joe Biden is doing everything he can to secure the border. His press secretary says so. What we stand by is that we are doing everything that we can uh, to make sure that um, uh, that we follow the process that's been put forth. That's why we have uh, historic funding uh, to do just that, to make sure that, um, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, to make sure that um, to make sure that uh, the folks that we encounter at the border be removed. Uh, To be uh, sure that uh, uh, mm, uh, uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. Why don't you just say that? Sorry, I got nothing. Here is the final word. That's kind of an th- ongoing theme of this monologue. The final word. Now, here's the final word, the final proof concerning something we've been talking about and hammering away on this program for over, t- well, nearly two years. The final proof concerning the unimaginable harms caused by the lockdowns, not the pandemic, the lockdowns. Government officials and public health officials are trying to spin the pandemic like it was something that was unprecedented. No, no, that's a lie. There was nothing unprecedented about the pandemic. The response to the pandemic was unprecedented. It was unscientific. It was ineffective. It was a colossal blunder by every measurement, by every matrix. Again, arguably the worst public policy blunder in peacetime in the history of the world. So here is Stanford professor of medicine, an expert on infectious diseases, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, one of the founders of the Great Barrington Declaration, spelling out the cost, the human cost of the uh, lockdowns around the world. The world is interconnected, right? So uh, the last uh, 30, 40 years, one of the major good things that come out is, is that we've, we've interconnected the world. As, and as a result, a billion people have been lifted out of poverty worldwide. How did that happen? In part, it happened because poor countries reorganized their economies in order to fit into this globalized, global, sort of the, the broader global, uh, um, global economy. Overnight, we just said, no, thank you. The consequences of that have been tremendously bad, right? So uh, the UN estimated very, very early on that 100 million people would be thrown into poverty as a consequence of this. That has actually come to pass. 100, 100 million people have been thrown into poverty. We're talking dire $2 a day of income or less poverty. Tens of millions of people have been thrown into dire food insecurity. 
meaning they, they go to bed hungry. In March of 2021, there was an estimate that UN put out that 230,000 children had died in South Asia alone as a consequence of the lockdown, the, the, the economic dislocation caused by the lockdown, in particular through hunger and through and skipped vaccinations. That is the cost of the lockdown. It's you can you can denominate it in dollars if you want, but don't make any mistake. It was not dollars that was at stake. It was lives of the poor and the vulnerable that was at stake when we decided to lock down. And they are the ones that have paid the price for it. That is as effective and poignant a summation of the human cost of the lockdowns as I've heard. That should be, should be the final word on the colossal tragedy of the response to COVID. It was the response, not the disease, that caused so much pain and suffering. That's the final word. Electric vehicles. If you want to purchase and operate an electric vehicle because you think you can save money on gasoline or you're under the misconception that somehow you're helping the environment, that's your right. That's entirely your right. But here is the final word on the folly of trying to force hundreds of millions of car owners around the world to give up their gas-powered vehicles for electric cars. This is Mark Mills. He's a physicist and senior fellow at the think tank, the Manhattan Institute. Have a listen. We want to go all electric by 2035. Is it practical to do it now? Well, we can make this whole discussion easy with a two-letter word. No, there's no such thing, of course, as a zero-emissions vehicle. The real question is, where are the emissions associated with the electric car? Because what you do with an electric vehicle is you don't eliminate emissions. You export them somewhere else. You have to dig up about 500,000 pounds of materials to make a single 1,000-pound battery. It takes 100 to 300 barrels of oil to manufacture a battery that can hold one barrel of oil equivalent of energy. Just manufacturing the battery can have a carbon debt rate ranging from 10 tons to 40 tons of CO2. And the plans that are in place to increase the use of batteries will require an increase in production of minerals like lithium, cobalt, zinc. Demand for those minerals will increase between 400% and 4,000%. Isn't enough mining in the world to make enough batteries for that many people for their car? Ah, or unless as someone on social media pointed out, that model does make sense if you're planning on getting rid of, say, six billion people. So California has recently pumped $10 billion of taxpayer money into infrastructure for electric vehicles, charging stations, etc., and announced a ban on the sale of gas-fueled cars by 2035. California's electric grid is in tatters now. They can't handle the electric cars they have on the road now which is a small percentage, let alone 100%. Can you imagine what will happen to the power grid in California if every gas-powered vehicle was replaced with an EV? It's absolute folly. Mark Mills has really delivered the final word on electric vehicles. Now, listen to this absolute gobbledygook from a charity called Children First Canada. Now, if they come knocking... They're a charity. If they come around knocking or calling you looking for money, ask them about this ridiculous nonsense they've published before politely ending the call or shutting the door. This is a story re- reported uh, or republished by the uh, by uh, CTV. Of course, CTV. CTV, of course. They, they jump all over this and, 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 and they report this rubbish. Here's the headline. Discrimination and climate change among risks to Canadian children. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. An annual report that looks at harms facing Canadian children finds that unintentional injuries pose the biggest risk to kids, that's true, followed by poor mental health and systemic discrimination. The study from charity organization Children First Canada says preventable and accidental injuries are the leading cause of death among kids 14 and under. Poor mental health is also putting kids at risk. Yeah, that's true. With the study saying a quarter of people between 2 and 17 years old experience mental health challenges... But for the first time, climate change has made the list of its own category rather than being a uh, being considered a cross-cutting theme. Children First Canada says child acute bronchitis linked to wildfires is on the rise. All right. Climate change among the greatest risks to our children. Sure. Anyway, I thought I'd leave you with a good laugh coming up on today's show. Uh, In a report of its two-year investigation of the COVID-19 pandemic, the prestigious medical journal The Lancet concluded it's possible the virus originated in an American lab. Art Moore from WND will be here. Last order of business with that story. Peter Navarro, President Trump's Defense Production Act policy coordinator during the pandemic and one of only three White House officials by Trump's side. From the 26th campaign to the end of the president's first term in office, we'll be here. Peter is also the author of a brand new book, Trump Time, a journal of America's plague year. The Lim Riddler is here with another Lim Riddle. The Sofa Cinephile will be here this hour to unpack the new Blu-ray edition of the 1985 film Red Dawn, starring Patrick Swayze. I remember that one from the drive-in. But coming up first, Mad Max, leader of the People's Party of Canada, on Pierre Polyev as leader of the Conservative Party, will get his thoughts. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Friday, September the 16th. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right, this is my uh, first opportunity to check in with the Honorable Max Bernier since uh, Pierre Polyev was uh, elected as leader of the Conservative Party, and uh, uh, Max is joining us uh, right now. Hello, Max. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Richard. Let me just get a, a, your, your, some quick thoughts on uh, uh, Pierre Polyev and, and his um, ascendancy to the, uh, the leadership of the Conservative Party and what this means uh, for you and the People's Party going forward, because he's trying to now cast uh, himself and the Conservative Party as this populist conservative movement, a Canada first movement. Um, how, how does that affect you and, and let's say your strategy going into the next election? 
I must say that uh, Pierre Poliev is more intelligent than Aaron O'Toole and is a better communicator for sure. And uh, yes, uh, right now uh, he's uh, pushing some policies that we've been uh, speaking about that for a long term. Uh, a long time, sorry, like uh, inflation and uh, control of our spending. I believe that Pierre is speaking about that and we are speaking about that. And the, the, there's a lot of uh, differences between us and, and, and also Pierre Poliev and the Conservative Party. The most important one is uh, we are doing politics differently. <laughs> and Pierre is doing politics based on survey and polling. And Pierre is able to speak about uh, freedom, right? Right now, because of all the freedom fighters across the country the last two years, because of the truckers, because of the freedom convoy, it was not popular to speak about freedom in March 2020. And Pierre was not there and was never there. But now, because of all these uh, uh, arrows, Canadians' arrows, because of them fighting for their values when that was not popular. And you remember what the mainstream media told us. They were saying to us that who were, you know, uh, uh, selfish, uh, uh, racist, and uh, xenophobe, and uh, uh, conspiracy terrorist, all that. Uh, but we fought for that, and now we were able to change the public opinion, and that's why Pierre Poliev is speaking about that. So that being said, we there's other issues that Poliev is not speaking about, like, you know, mass immigration. Uh, he won't speak about that. Uh, he didn't say anything about that. The Paris Accord, uh, he won't withdraw from the Paris Accord. Uh, for him, you know, uh, he will need to tackle climate change, and we won't. So that's a huge difference. Uh, yes, he won't impose the carbon tax, but he will have to impose more regulations on businesses. And and, and so is in that narrative, that mainstream narrative, that uh, climate is uh, the most important issue for the 21st century. That is not, there's no climate emergency. I can go on, Richard, on Ukraine, uh, you know, uh, is doing politics uh, to please uh, uh, the Ukraine community in Canada. And, and it's for the war in Ukraine. We are not. It's not the role of our country. We are broke. We cannot spend money over there. And we must not be part of that. We must promote peace and prosperity. So I can go on on our housing. You know, he's speaking about housing, but the solution for him is not to respect the constitution. He wants to impose to municipalities regulations for them. You know, it's your mayor in your municipality that is responsible of that not the federal government and the problem with housing is uh, is in link with immigration it's mathematical we have too many people we have mass immigration and fewer uh, houses so we need to tackle mass immigration and he won't so so we have a future and i believe that poliev will do like o'toole he will go to the left before the election he won't do that next month or next year it will take times it will take times to do some rally uh, some polling and he will go to the left because there's more seat in the gta than in Alberta. We'll uh, take a quick time out, Max, when we come back. I do want to talk to you about, you know, it's true. You you were doing the heavy lifting before it was popular uh, with regards to, uh, you know, freedoms and the mandates and crisscrossing the country. But now it seems as if, according to a story that broke today, uh, many of the convoy protest um, 
um, supporters donated to the Conservative Party, something like $460,000. And I want to, I'd like to get your take on that and what you would say to the people that, that support freedom and were supporting the truckers, but ended up uh, donating to the Conservative Party. Max Bernier, the Honorable Max Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada. More of our conversation right after these. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Welcome back. The Honorable Max Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada, uh, is here and he'll be in town in Toronto uh, tomorrow for not one but two uh, worldwide freedom rallies. Uh, just quickly give us the details on those, uh, Max. When, Where will you be uh, tomorrow? I think one's at Christie Pitts and one's at, is at Queen's Park. Yes, I'll be at the first one at 12.30 and the second one at 1.30. So it's all near downtown and I'm very pleased to be there. I received uh, uh, these invitations and I said, yes, let's do what we did for the last two years, speaking about our freedoms and our values. Yes. And you, as I mentioned earlier, you have been uh, carrying the, the heavy burden there. When it wasn't popular to do so, uh, you were the only, um, you know, federal party certainly out there uh, talking about the um, the uh, the mandates and the uh, immorality and the uh, the uh, of the vaccine mandates and the lockdowns and so forth. And, and now we hear that that uh, Canadians who supported the Ottawa convoy ended up contributing something like four hundred and sixty thousand dollars to the conservative leadership candidates. And that's got to be, I don't know, disappointing, frustrating. What do you say after you did all the heavy lifting? No. So what I'm saying, you know, in Canada, you can donate to every political party. You can donate to the conservative and to the people's party. That's legal. So uh, we are able to raise money. This party is growing. And, you know, maybe some of these donors donate, donate also donated also to us. We don't know. We will know that at the end of the year when we'll have that data from Election Canada. But uh, for us, the most important, we are able to grow. And I believe that uh, these people understand that we need to uh, keep uh, Pierre Poliev uh, honest and accountable. And like I said, we don't want him to go to the left like uh, these other establishment leaders that they had before. And and we don't want him to uh, to try to please uh, Quebec and uh, and Ontario uh, with more spending and more spending and doing identity politics and buying votes with money that we don't have. So we can be the insurance policy for that. And I believe that the PPC has a role to play. Uh, We can be like the NDP of the right. Uh, The NDP, uh, now we have a socialist government in Ottawa because of the NDP. They are pushing the liberals to the left. And my goal is to keep Pierre Poliev honest. And I think that's why I believe that we will grow. And maybe some of these donors donated also to us. We'll know that at the end of the year. Fair enough. That's that's true. Um, as you say, I, kind of an ideal situation would be a minority conservative government with enough uh, People's Party MPs uh, to uh, to allow the conservatives to rule from a minority position. To that end, um, would you consider running in a in a seat for in Alberta, where, of course, you are uh, very popular. Uh, It's been a tough, you know, you're right in the heart of, uh, you know, the 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 milk marketing board there in Quebec. Uh, This is not a popular message uh, that you're delivering there, but you do it nonetheless. Would you consider running in Alberta to, you know, maybe increase your chances of getting elected to parliament? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Ahora hay todo lo que necesites, todo lo que no también, cosas que siempre has querido en precios bajos de Amazon. Todo lo que está en descuento, si eres bueno y no también, cosas de la abuela que se toma el chardón en con hielo, cosas que te nutrirán y no podemos mencionar, cosas de jardín y más. Ahora en grande en cosas. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, I'm looking not only in Alberta, uh, Manitoba, uh, Northern Ontario. So uh, I will uh, I will have to decide that early next year, and I will have to to move in that writing, uh, showing that I'm serious. And I'm serious. The goal will be for us at the next election to increase our, our percentage of the vote from five percent. I don't know to maybe double that or not, and, and to have some candidates elected. So I'm looking at all that. I may run back in my former riding in Bose, but I'm open to other opportunities. And uh, we are looking at that. That's why also I'm traveling across the country. I'll be in Northern Ontario at the end of this month, and I'll be in BC also in two weeks. So I'm traveling and meeting our people, building the organization. But answering your questions, it is a possibility. Absolutely, yes. All right. And again, give us the details. You're in Toronto tomorrow for two uh, worldwide freedom rallies. Give us the details. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first one will be at, uh, just wait a little bit. I don't want to be sure. Um, the Christie rally, it will be at 1230. Uh, and you can go on my website, People's Party of Candidates, see, you have all the details, or you can follow me also on Twitter. And the second one will be at Queensport. And I will speak at 1.30 uh, tomorrow afternoon. Okay. Christy Pitts at 12.30 and Queens Park at 1.30 tomorrow in Toronto, the Worldwide Freedom Rally. Max, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. We'll talk again, I hope. Thank you, Richard. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. When we come back, fact check this. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact check this. All right, welcome back. Dr. Harvey Risch is a professor emeritus at, uh, of epidemiology at the Yale School of uh, Public Health, and he's also a medical doctor. His work has been cited in medical journals, etc., nearly 50,000 times. So this guy has major league cred. And he was uh, recently on Steve Deese's uh, YouTube program. Steve Deese is a, a conservative YouTuber, talk show host. And Steve Deese asked Dr. Harvey Risch, what is the biggest lie of the last 29 months of COVID? 
Have a listen to this. As we look back over the last 29 months, what has been, and maybe this, we could do an entire book on this question, brother, but what's been the biggest lie that even you as someone at the upper echelons of these institutions is just like, how is anyone with a straight face actually attempting to sell this, regardless of whether they've been bought and sold or not? Oh, that's a difficult question because there's so many. Um, to me, the biggest lie is the FDA webpage on hydroxychloroquine. Mm. So the FDA webpage was mounted July 1st of 2020. It's been there for two years. It's a fraud. The, the webpage says, warning, hydroxychloroquine should not be used in outpatient treatment because of risk of cardiac adverse events. That's in the big bold letters. And then underneath, in small print, it says, we base this warning on adverse events that we've observed in the treatment of hospitalized patients. Now, there's two things about this. First is that uh, COVID-19 is a completely different disease in outpatients and hospital patients. In outpatients, it's a flu-like illness with cough, muscle aches, fever, sore throat, um, sneezing, you know, and so on, the tiredness, uh, headaches, the standard things that people get in, you know, severe colds or flu. However, on about day eight, plus or minus, in, in a, a subset of people, they progress to a more intense pulmonary illness. That's an, a pneumonia-like illness where the immune system overreacts and deposits a, a lot of immune debris in the lungs and makes breathing difficult and oxygenation difficult. That's a kind of acute respiratory distress syndrome that requires hospitalization. That's a totally different disease. It has a different treatment. It is, it is totally unrelated to outpatient treatment. Nevertheless, the FDA said we base our recommendation on against outpatient treatment on the basis of hospital experience. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you can understand that if the FDA actually had any evidence to support adverse events in the treatment of outpatients, it would have said that. Mm -hmm. On a website talking about outpatient treatment, if they thought they could suppress outpatient treatment because they had evidence in outpatients, they would have used that. That would have been the first line of argument. And since that is missing from this webpage, it proves that they do not have systematic evidence of outpatient ill effects in using hydroxychloroquine in outpatients. Now, why this is the biggest lie is that this was the crux of the whole pandemic in the first place that the suppression of hydroxychloroquine started before anybody even knew there was a pandemic and uh, before President Trump had even said anything. It started, to my knowledge, in fall of 2019 when the Minister of Health in France changed the status of hydroxychloroquine from an over-the-counter medication that anybody could just go to the drugstore and buy to a prescription-only medication. She cited completely false uh, uh, theory that hydroxychloroquine was what was called geno toxic, that it had caused genetic damage in cells. This is completely impossible. This medication has been used in tens of billions of doses and hundreds of millions of people for half a century or more. It is one of the most um, important medications on the World Health Organization list of the top 50 required medicines. It's used in pregnant women and infants and children. Uh, it's just one of the safest medications known. And yet the FDA had the nerve to purport to say that, that somehow a very safe medication that everybody knows is safe is somehow suddenly unsafe to be used in outpatients. And by the way, we're not showing you any data that it's unsafe. Mm. 
So this is the biggest lie. Had this medication been used at the outset of this pandemic, it would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives that were needlessly lost for, because this was suppressed for a year while, while pe- patients waited for vaccines, you know, and, and whatever one thinks of the vaccines, this time period of a, of a year lost led to hundreds of thousands of unnecessary deaths that would have been treated. And had we been able to treat this disease adequately, the necessity of vaccines would not nearly have been as important and maybe not important at all. And that is the crux of the whole pandemic, that this pandemic was not used to protect the health of the population. It was used to sell vaccines and patent medications at tremendous, tremendous profit to the pharma industry with the collusion of the FDA and the CDC. And this is the nature of of what we've been fighting over the last two and a half years, not the virus per se, but but our corrupted response to the virus. Wow. Dr. Harvey Risch, again, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. He's a medical doctor. His work has been cited nearly 50,000 times. Coming from him, this, this has to carry a lot of weight. Hydroxychloroquine suppressed even before the pandemic became known. Just before. Isn't that interesting? Had it been used, he says, it would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. But it was suppressed. We were told there's no cure, there's no treatment, we have to wait for a vaccine. Had hydroxychloroquine not been suppressed, had it been in widespread use, as it was in certain places like Uttar Pradesh in India, they may not have needed the vaccine. Interesting. Frightening. All right. When we come back, the Sofa Cinephile will take a look at the new Blu-ray edition of the 1984 WW3 motion picture Red Dawn. Christopher Garitano joins us next. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk. Saga, 960 AM. Sofa Cinephile on The Richard Serrett Show. What's going on here, my friend? This is the emergency broadcast system. We are under attack by conventional forces of the Russian army. It is believed the lead waves were disguised as commercial charter flights. Communications have broken down in other parts of the country. Large areas of the Midwest may have been overrun. You're 40 miles behind enemy lines. I just want to go home. I took a lot of people away. I just love somebody, Andy. I'm going to die before it happens. They're going to kill us. All us. Not bad for a bunch of kids, huh? Mama would be real proud. Ah, there we go. That takes me back to the uh, mid-1980s in the Breezes Drive-In Theater in Brantford, Ontario. Red Dawn, 
starring Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen. Uh, who else was in that? Powers Booth, Harry Dean Stanton, here to tell us about the new Blu-ray edition of the 1984 motion picture Red Dawn. Christopher Garitano, the creator, director of the award-winning docudrama The Montauk Chronicles and the host of the popular podcast Off to the Witch. Hey, Chris, welcome back. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well today. Uh, Red Dawn, take us back uh, 1984. Um, what's the movie about? So the sleepy town of Calumet, Colorado, is suddenly invaded by a combination of Cuban forces and Russian forces after NATO has disbanded. You know, fictional tale, of course, during the height of the Cold War and a lot of tensions and all of a sudden... Soldiers start parachuting from the sky and it's a small town and the only people that seem to be able to resist after many adults or uh, their businesses are seized and people are murdered, put into concentration camps are the high school football team and the kids um, that disappear. You know, John Milius, the director, was criticized at the time for it being so far fetched. And his response was, this is happening right now. In Afghanistan, with at that time the Afghani freedom fighters, it was the same thing. Right, right. Great cast too: Patrick Swayze, Alea Thompson, Charlie Sheen, Jennifer Grey, being reunited with uh, Patrick Swayze. Um, tell me about. Um, let's see, Harry Dean Stanton, um, Powers Booth. Uh, here's an. I don't know if uh, this is true. Powers Booth, that character who played uh, a pilot in the film. That was supposed to be uh, originally played by um, Robert Blake. Is that is that a true story? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's who John Milius originally wanted. I'm not, you know, it's so many amazing casting stories uh, that would blow your mind. I don't know if you ever heard the one about O.J. Simpson was supposed to be the Terminator. No. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I did not. I did not know that. You could write a book on that. I'm sure. Yes, yes you could. So now there's a new Blu-ray edition of um, Red Dawn. What's um, any interesting extras in the Blu-ray? Of edition? course, yeah. There, there are some uh, documentaries that were created on the previous standard Blu-ray edition, but there are new docs that are certainly worth it's they're worth seeing all of it and Milius's commentary you know for a lot of people that don't know John Milius uh had a stroke some time ago and he's been working very hard to come back you know from that that bottomless pit but it's been difficult for him but all of you know his commentary is fantastic you know he's a self-proclaimed extreme patriot and an individualist and he doesn't see himself as a warmonger but he believes in uh strength and securing borders and all those things and so he's he sometimes he's accused of certain things which i think going into it with a very open mind and understanding his perspective you know this is a guy that you know wrote certain scenes and co-wrote apocalypse now uh which is another fantastic 4K Blu-ray we should talk about on the show eventually. Yes. But, no, sure. Milius has an insight into these things, and it seemed like these journalists were attacking for him for things that he was much smarter about, in my opinion, and he had an answer to them. So uh, commentary with, with John Milius, and uh, how does it look on the big screen? Oh, it's gorgeous. Again, you know, the best you'll see, because when we saw these things in the theater, 
Um, those prints were ran over and over again. They collected a lot of dirt and dust. And so what happens is they go back to the interpositive or the negatives and we get to see exactly what that cinematographer meant for you to see, especially on a 4K TV. But Blu-ray is always gorgeous, in my opinion. But those 4K Blu-rays, if they're mastered correctly, there's something else. And what about the sound? There's a great film score. Uh, it was composed by Basil Polduris. But, but how's the, how does the whole thing sound? Yeah, who also scored, I believe, Conan for uh, John Milius when he directed uh-huh. that. Um, it's it's gorgeous. The sound is fantastic. It all depends on your sound system. And I would say, you know, improve on your sound system to match some of these because sound, oh, man, does it make the difference when you're watching a motion picture. It really does. When you have that 5.1 sound set up in your home, it changes everything. Of course, of course. Uh, so how do we get the Blu-ray edition, the new Blu-ray edition of Red Dawn? It didn't come out that long ago, and um, it's available, seems to be just about anywhere. I saw it in, in Best Buy, and uh, it certainly can be purchased at Amazon. All right. Uh, we'll talk again next week. Christopher Garitano, again, the creator, director of the award-winning docudrama, The Montauk Chronicles. And uh, how do we listen to uh, your wildly popular podcast, Off to the Witch, Chris? So go to anywhere you listen to your podcasts, including Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and search Off to the Witch. And we just did a two-part episode with Stanton LaVey, the grandson of the writer of the Satanic Bible. What an interesting interview. Wow. The grandson of Anton LaVey. Coming up next on Off to the Witch. Chris, great job as always. We'll talk again next week. Thank you so much. First we filled your mind. Now, let's twist it. This is <laughs> The Limb Riddler. All right, it's Friday. Time to check in with that devilish wordsmith, The Limb Riddler. Happy Friday, Limb Riddler. Happy Friday to you, Richard. How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right. I'm a little disappointed, though. This week's Limb Riddle doesn't have a title. Oh, no. Not really. It's supposed to be the boss's job. Oh, the boss's job. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. All right, yeah. all right. Yeah. Just, I'm nitpicking. I'm nit- I look, I like the titles. I really enjoy the titles. All right. So, uh, we're looking for a one-word answer. There are four clues. They, uh, they all come up, they all, you know, are satisfied with the same uh, one-word answer. What else do we need to know about the Lim Riddle? Well, of course, if you want to, the easiest way to solve it, go right to the website. Go to uh, limriddles.com and you can read along with me. And while you're there, subscribe. That's it. That way you get the Lim Riddle delivered right to your email inbox every Friday, right about this time. All right. Uh, the boss's job. Here That's we go. This one will appeal to anybody who is an opera singer and, uh, and a cardiologist. If you combine those uh, <laughs> in, uh, in, in one's suite of services, you, you've, you've got the upper hand over everyone else. So All the right. boss's job goes like this. Why switch your job for the bosses instead? Which vena cava draws blood from your head? What mother sang themes of mountains and dreams? Where is Edmund Fitzgerald still minding the dead? That's that's just pure poetry. It's brilliant. All right. The boss's job. And um, again, send your one word answer to info at limriddles.com. Info at limriddles.com. Be sure to put 960 in the subject line. That way we know you heard it right here on the Richard Serrett Show on Saga 960. And be listening just before the news at 6 when I reveal the answer to this week's Lim Riddle and announce the names of the winners. All right, Lim Riddler, you have a great rest of the week, a great weekend, and we'll talk next week. Thank you, Richard. Fantastic. 
Talk to you soon, Richard. Bye for now. Bye for now. The Lim <laughs> Solve this puzzle. The Lim Riddler. Every Friday at 4.50 on The Richard Serrett Show on Saga 960 AM. All right, stay tuned. Hour two, plenty of great show to come, including my conversation with Peter Navarro, President Trump's Defense Production Act Policy Coordinator. During the pandemic, he's got a brand new book. It's called Trump Time, a journal of America's plague year. That conversation gets rolling in about five minutes. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell... I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. And you will and welcome to Hour 2 of The Richard Serrett Show. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, including my conversation with the Honorable Max Bernier, Mad Max, who's coming to Toronto tomorrow for a couple of uh, worldwide freedom rallies, one at Christie Pitts at 12.30, one at Queen's Park at 1.30. Coming up a little bit later in uh, this hour, Art Moore from WND will be here. Interesting um, story in the Lancet Journal, the prestigious medical journal, The Lancet. Not a story, it's a report. The uh, conclusion... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.
of its two-year investigation of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the Lancet, or the people that wrote this report, are concluding that it is possible the virus originated in an American lab. Uh, let's see. What else? Well, that's that'll take care of the uh, the later stages of this hour. Right now, we are waiting the arrival of Peter Navarro. Peter Navarro, has he joined us? Terrific. All right. Well, this is uh, President Trump's Defense Production Act policy coordinator during the pandemic. One of only three White House officials who was by President Trump's side from the 2016, 2016 campaign all the way to the end of the president's first term in office. He has a brand new book. It's called Trump Time, a journal of America's plague year. A great pleasure to welcome Peter Navarro back to the program. Peter, how are you? Uh, I'm good, but <laughs> the new book, uh, and I uh, hope you'll have the cover of this to show, is called Taking Back Trump's America, How We Lost the White House and How We'll Win It Back. The In Trump Time book was the first of what's going to be a, a trilogy in my White House memoirs, as they are. Um, this particular book, in, in Taking Back Trump's America, it should be taken literally. Um, it's it's a threefer. It's it's a book itself that that's both a historical document about the by years in the White House, uh, but most importantly, it's it's a mission in that it lays out the blueprint and battle cry for the MAGA movement, which is now, by the way, under sharp attack by Joe Biden and the and the uh, the woke Democrat left. And um, I'm hoping that people can get focused on taking back Trump's America by reading the book and focusing like a laser beam first on the November election so that we can take back the House from Nancy Pelosi and then uh, in 2024 uh, take back the White House under the banner of Trumpism. When uh, Joe Biden delivered that Soul of America speech and he basically uh, labeled let's say uh, 75, 80 million Americans as extremists, dangerous extremists. And of course, uh, we now have about 50 uh, Trump supporters who have been uh, raided and accosted by the FBI, including, uh, you know, the my pillow guy of all people. Uh, you were uh, arrested and strip searched in, in July. Um, what was that all about? What were they what were they after when, when they uh, arrested and strip searched you and, and, and treated you? Brutally. Well, the this the strip search was just part of the party by the FBI they threw for me. Um, it included leg irons. Uh, didn't even know we had leg irons in this day and age, um, as well as being placed in solitary confinement without access to a lawyer in the same cell, mind you. And they took great pride in telling me this, uh, that John Hinckley sat in uh, after he shot Ronald Reagan. Um, what was that about? Well, there's a lot of speculation about that, but the arrest itself stemmed from a charge of contempt of Congress that began with this uh, kangaroo committee, otherwise known as the Jan 6 Select Committee. Uh, they issued a subpoena for me to testify and produce documents. And I was quite clear on multiple occasions what my response was. And it was a response which was in 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 tune with my doing my duty 
to my country, to my constitution and my commander in chief. I told them that President Trump had invoked executive privilege in the matter, number one. Number two, that by law, it was not my privilege to waive, so I couldn't couldn't by law defy the president. And number three, if you wanted what you were after, all you had to do simply was go contact President Trump and his attorneys and get him to waive the privilege. They did not do that. They had a legal and a moral and an ethical responsibility to contact the president and confirm that executive privilege had been invoked if they wanted to, uh, but 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 ask whether he would be willing to waive the privilege in my case. They didn't do that. And what they did was issue um, a, a, a resolution uh, to have me indicted for a contempt of Congress charge. It's a misdemeanor. That's the good news. The bad news is it carries a two-year possible prison term. And then fast forward to to the day of my arrest, June 3rd. It's very interesting. Um, this is a misdemeanor. And in cases like this, the, the norm, by far the norm, is what's called voluntary surrender. In other words, they, they call you up or they call your attorney up and say, hey, we've got a warrant for your arrest. Come on in. We'll process you and, and you'll be out the same day. Um, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. What they did, they chose to they they chose to let me go all the way to the airport in Ronald Reagan. I was going on my way to Mike Huckabee's show. I wasn't I wasn't escaping anywhere. I was just on my way to Mike Huckabee's show in Nashville. Um, they let me sit there for an hour under surveillance, and then when I waved my ticket at the at the scanner and went into the jetway, they slammed the jetway door closed. Three agents, armed agents, closed behind me. Two came at me, uh, denied me the right to an attorney, took my uh, cell phone, even as their buddies were calling the press, letting them know the circus arrest was in progress. Uh, next thing I know, I'm, I'm first in, in handcuffs behind my back. And then uh, about 20 to 25 minutes later, I'm being uh, strip searched and put put in leg irons and and. The funny thing about it, and it is kind of darkly comic, is when I sit and look out my window where I live in the deep swamp, I'm literally a field goal cook kick away from the FBI. They, they are literally across the street. And they could have easily, if they didn't want to call my attorney for a voluntary surrender, somebody came on over and took me there instead of exposing people at the airport to their shenanigans and subjecting uh uh, me to that kind of uh, public humiliation, which is, I think, was part of their intention. Um, but here's the thing. For me, the Taking Back Trump's America book is essential for many, many reasons. The economy, the national security, the border, but also because of this authoritarian fascistic impulse that is now coursing through the veins of the Biden administration at the FBI and the Department of Justice, even at the National Archives and the White House itself. And that, that blood red fascist speech that was given was he that was a declaration of war against people like me and the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump. And, you, you know, you've heard that. I don't know if you remember they they talked Mussolini, at least he made the trains run on time. Right. right. That was argument back then in, in support of fascism. It's like, hey, 
maybe, maybe there's like a slimmer of something that you could say good about Biden if he had a strong economy, if he had a solid border, if he wasn't jeopardizing our national security with Russia, Iran, China and North Korea. But he is doing everything wrong, destroying this country as we know it economically, politically. And I am committed to this mission, sir. And and taking back Trump's America is the battle plan to take that house back from Nancy Pelosi and her partisan hacks and then take the White House back in 2024. The election's about 50 days away. And if we don't, and I document why in the Taking Back Trump's America book, if we don't take back that House, then we're not going to take back the White House. In the Taking Back Trump's America book, there's a fascinating chapter. Uh, Peter, uh, pardon the interruption. If I could just get you to hold on, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to uh, talk with Peter Navarro, Taking Back Trump's America, Why We Lost the White House and How We Will Win It Back. More of our conversation coming up in about two minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Peter Navarro uh, stays with us, and uh, we are talking about his brand new book, Taking Back Trump's America, Why We Lost the White House and How We'll Win It Back. In the book, you lay the blame for his defeat in 2020 uh, with, uh, you know, people that were in his administration that were continually seeking to undermine uh, people like uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, uh, Larry Kudlow. Um, I mean, I it's I understand you know someone comes to to uh, to Washington to the swamp and doesn't have you know the Rolodex and so he who is he going to pick everybody in, in D.C. it's it's all a swamp. How is he going to make sure that that doesn't happen again if and when he's elected in twenty twenty four? Look, um, it, it's a, it's an astute observation about the, the bad personnel and how he's going to avoid it. But but a lot of the taking back Trump's America book describes kind of the learning curve of the president. Uh, the, the problem we had was front loaded. A lot of the bad personnel that came in, came in early. I was one of three uh, White House officials with the boss all the way from the campaign to the end of what we like to call his first term. And I saw like the day after the election in 2016, um, the, the coming of the November 9thers. These were the people of uh, primarily the rhino wing, the Republicans in name only from the Re- Republican National Committee and, and elsewhere who did not embrace the president's values, but who at the time we thought we needed to help fully staff a vast American government. It turned out to be a, a bad miscalculation. But now, after a year, after four years of the administration, the boss understands what happens. He's ready to go. I have in the Taking Back Trump's America book, for example, a dream cabinet to replace the cabinet of clowns we started with back in the first term. I have a dream West Wing of, of security and economic advisors and domestic policy advisors. And it's about half and half. Half of it are, are, are Trump loyalists who, who acquitted themselves very competently and well. For example, Ken Cuccinelli um, at the Department of Homeland Security did a beautiful job, as did Mark Morgan at Customs and Border Protection. Uh, Robert O'Brien is the National Security Advisor in the West Wing. He could go right to the Secretary of State. There's a whole list of those folks. And then it's really important, Richard, um, that we have the director of personnel. And that, that in my judgment, uh, should and could be a guy named Johnny McEntee, who 
finished the White House job there, and uh, he would do a heck of a job. So I'm confident that President Trump would do a good job. Look, and this is in Canada's interest. Let me be frank here. A lot of the macroeconomic turmoil that Canadians are experiencing with respect to a slowing economy and a roaring inflation rate can be directly traced to the replacement of Donald Trump by the Biden regime. These are feckless people making uh, policy errors that are triggering what's going to be the worst stagflation since the 1970s. And stagflation, Richard, I'm an economist by training. I know what of what I speak here. It's the most difficult problem to solve because it's recession and inflation at the same time. And the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the U.S., Canadian Bank, they can't solve that. They try to solve recession by slowing things down. Um, excuse me, um, they try inflation. to yeah. cure inflation yeah. by slowing things down. That that just causes more recession. Uh, you know, if they try to spike the economy to get out of the recession, they spike inflation. Just doesn't work. It's a one-trick pony. And the only way that you get around that is through the kind of structural adjustments that President Trump made when he assumed office. There's a there's a prescient memo I wrote in May of 2020 when I was still in the White House as a, as the as an economic advisor to the president. I warned of stagflation. I wrote right in that memo. It's in the Taking Back Trump's America book. I wrote right then we're going to face stagflation if we don't do X, Y, and Z. Guess what? We didn't do X, Y, and Z, and that thus we weren't, and we didn't do it not because we didn't want to do it, it's because the Democrats wouldn't allow us to do it. And then off the Democrats go when Trump leaves office and they screw it up. So Canada is is very much vested. I know a lot of Canadians probably didn't like Trump for a a lot of different reasons, including his trade policy. He was tough on the NAFTA accords and he was tough on Canadian dairy farmers who were heavily subsidizing and selling products in the U.S. But but the world was a safer place for Canadians when Trump was in office, and it was certainly a more prosperous place. So taking back Trump's America is really an important book. It's also an important book to understand what MAGA is. I mean, with Joe Biden, with his blood red speech, uh, condemning half of America as domestic terrorists, uh, all everybody who voted for Trump and MAGA. I mean, Canadians, I think, may have a hunger to know what we really stand for. And it's it's pretty simple. It's an end to endless wars. It's secure borders. Uh, and most of all, it's, it's, it's a strong manufacturing base and supply chain here on U.S. soil. And that will help Canadians because the way the USMCA is constructed, if we have a strong manufacturing base and supply chains in North America, it, it helps Canadians as well. All right. We'll take another quick time out. Taking back Trump's America. Why we lost the White House and how we'll win it back. Peter Navarro stays with us uh, one more time out and uh, more of our conversation in two minutes. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we're back with Peter Navarro, one of only three White House officials who was by President Trump's side from the 26th campaign right through to the end of the president's first term in office. His brand new book is Taking Back Trump's America, Why We Lost the White House, How We'll Win It Back. And um, I wanted to ask you, uh, I heard the, the president speak with Hugh Hewitt today on the radio, 
and I heard it this morning, and uh, Hewitt, Hugh Hewitt asked uh, the president whether he thinks he'll be indicted. Of course, we're familiar. We talked a lot about the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago a couple of weeks ago. Uh, whether he'll be indicted, and uh, President Trump said that would be a huge mistake, and uh, he talked about how, you know, the, the American people will respond. And, of course, the left-wing media has jumped all over that, saying, oh, he's inciting violence and so forth. But, uh, you know, if you listen back, it's very clear he didn't do that. But let me ask you, first of all, do you think he'll be indicted? Would the Dems dare to indict him? And how will the American people respond? Uh, the Dems uh, are a wild card at this point. I mean, they put me in leg irons. Uh, they raided They raided Mar-a-Lago. They took Mike Lindell down at a fast food restaurant. Uh, I don't know, but I certainly agree with the boss. It would be a huge mistake uh, politically uh, and culturally and for our democracy for that kind of thing uh, to, to go on. But look, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Joe Biden, with that blood red speech last week, unveiled himself as an authoritarian fascist um, who has no business being uh, the head of the world's uh, largest democracy. Um, so as the boss says, let's see uh, what happens. But um, that's why we got to take back Trump's America. If we, if, if, if we here uh, south of your border uh, can put the Republicans back in charge um, on uh, in November, then that begins the uh, the road back uh, to stopping this nonsense, because uh, in January they'll have the subpoena power to find out what the heck's going on. Uh, Richard, I, I, I got to apologize. Here. I don't know if you you I thought this was going 30 minutes and I've got a, a another another call coming in. If you could, you forgive me if we could wrap this up. Uh, Absolutely. I come back anytime you want. Absolutely. Can I ask uh, you one more quick question? Yeah, sure. And that is uh, the Dems seem to be running on. They want to run on abortion and Trump. And uh, give me two, three, four things, maybe uh, aside from inflation. We all we all know that's the big one. What are the three things aside from inflation the Republicans should be running on as we head into the midterms in November? Well, it's pure, pure MAGA, MAGA principles. It's uh, it's the economy broadly. It's not just inflation. It's the stagflation, the falling real wages. That's got to be at the top of the list. I mean, really, I mean, that's what Donald Trump uh, is about. And it's this invasion we're having on our southern border. I mean, if Canada were experiencing what we are and you'll, you're going to get some of those folks working their way up your way. I mean, you can't you can't send four million people over. Uh, since Biden took office into the United States and, and expect to have good things happen. So th- those are the big issues, plus election integrity. But um, it's it's great talking to you. And um, Likewise. Canada is vested in this Taking Back Trump's America book. So I hope you'll uh, you'll give it a read. Absolutely. Again, many thanks. Peter Navarro and uh, the book Trump Taking Back Trump's America, Why We Lost the White House and How We'll Win It Back. Uh, when we come back, well, Art Moore will be here in, in a few moments from WND, co-author of See Something, Say Nothing. And uh, this is an explosive story, yet another explosive story as the whole COVID narrative continues to uh, unravel. This is uh, we'll talk about this report that just came out in Lancet. The prestigious medical journal, The Lancet, and they conducted, the authors of this study, conducted a two-year investigation of the COVID-19 pandemic, and they now have concluded it's quite possible the virus originated in an American lab. This has been intimated 
uh, at by a number of uh, people, some of whom have been on this program. So we'll uh, we'll get to that story with Art Moore. Uh, I want to play. I know I played this yesterday, but I've got a few minutes here. Uh, this is um, one of my favorite members of the European Parliament, Christine Anderson, going after the uh, an official with one of the COVID vaccine manufacturers. Have a listen. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Oops, that one's not going to play. <laughs> All right. Um, what else do we have going on here that I can tell you about? Be sure to be a state. Oh, uh, just before the news at six o'clock, of course, I will reveal the um, answer to this week's limb riddle. Now, I mention that because the Mississauga Steelheads are gearing up for a season and their home opener, I believe, is October the second. Do I have that right, Jacob? The Mississauga Steelheads. Of course, we carry the games right here on Saga Nine Sixty, and um, starting next Friday, with the Lim Riddler, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets uh, to the home game. So be sure to be listening next week to the Lim Riddler. And if you answer correctly and are among the first to answer, you could walk away with a pair of tickets to the. Mississauga Steelheads home opener. Is that a preseason game or is that the regular season, Jacob? No, that's the real deal. All right. October the 2nd. Okay. All right. Um, But I will be revealing the answer to this week's Lim Riddle, of course, in uh, just about 20 minutes. Let's uh, take a quick time out. When we come back, Art Moore, WND, talking about this explosive study in the Lancet Journal. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. And the uh, COVID narrative continues to uh, rapidly unravel. Here we go. In a report of its two-year investigation of the COVID-19 pandemic, the prestigious medical journal The Lancet concluded it's possible the virus originated in an American lab. Art Moore is with WND and the co-author of See Something, Say Nothing, the bestseller. Art, welcome back. How are you? Hey, thanks, Richard. Doing fine. 
Uh, if memory serves, wasn't the Lancet real busy just uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, trying to discredit this whole story that that the uh, the virus may have originated in a lab, Wuhan or otherwise? Yeah, it, it definitely was. February 2020 published a letter from Peter Daszak. Peter Daszak, who was in, a scientist involved with this um, researcher at the Wuhan lab. She's known as the Bat Lady. She's Young Lee. And we have all kinds of evidence from uh, grants, proposals from EcoHealth Alliance, which is the organization that's run uh, by DASIC. And we see all of this evidence of gain of function research. That's the research in which uh, dangerous viruses are manipulated, uh, viruses that are being transmitted you know, from animal to animal that might spill over to humans. So they manipulate them, creating the possibility to spill over to humans so that they can get ahead of uh, treatments such as vaccines. So uh, Peter Daszak, uh, he convinces 26 of his colleagues to write this letter published in The Lancet, this prestigious British journal. And it basically says, if you if you think that the origin of this pandemic was uh, a lab or a lab leak, then you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. So what has changed? Why is The Lancet now? I mean, I guess we're speculating. Uh, why would The Lancet do an about face uh, and and then go ahead and uh, publish this this story, which totally contradicts? Well, there were there were a series of events. I, I think one really crucial um, uh, piece uh, of work that 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 convinced a lot of people to look at that uh, that theory seriously was done by a former New York Times uh, science reporter, also editor of Nature magazine and Science magazine. And and he wrote a 13,000 word piece that, that really made the case. And and this was at a time when when basically the media just bought into this February 2020 letter and said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you're a crazy right winger, you know, if you believe this. And, and so nobody paid attention to it until this very serious uh, New York, former New York Times writer um, wrote this very com compelling piece. And then people started to look back at evidence that the uh, State Department had. Mike Pompeo, when he was Trump's secretary of state, was uh, saying, look, uh, we've had our intelligence people look at this and we think the lab leak theory is probably the most plausible. Uh, so uh, the Lancet was caught up in that and, and they had to really seriously look back at this letter and say, well, you know, all of this was was uh, done without any real evidence. And in fact, we now know from emails that have been obtained uh, through lawsuits that Anthony Fauci was in communication with Peter Daszak and they were uh, you know, patting each other on the back and saying, you know, hey, way to go. We, we were able to dodge that bullet. Uh, it's one thing to suggest, you know, that that this was a leak from the Wuhan lab because communist China are, let's face it, they've admitted as much. They are they're at war with us. They're our enemy. Uh, the communist Chinese. I mean, I'm talking about the regime here. So it's one thing to suggest that, that the leak came or it was originated or developed in the Wuhan lab. But it's another kettle of fish entirely to suggest that it's an American lab. And I'm going to assume here we're talking about maybe the lab, uh, the Fort Detrick uh, biological lab at Chapel Hill, right. the University of North Carolina. Right. Yeah. Th those are the, the two suspects. And I, I think to be clear, you know, Sachs, Jeffrey Sachs, who was the leader of this investigative team. He's an economist at Columbia, and he's, he's always uh, been pushing back against uh, Daszak and, and his natural origin theory. 
But I, I think what Sachs is saying is that it, it, it may have been that actually the virus itself could have uh, originated there, uh, a bat coronavirus that researchers were studying. But then it, it went to the Wuhan lab where they did the, the real manipulation. But in any case, we do know that American scientists such as Ralph Barrick from University of North Carolina have been collaborating with these uh, Chinese scientists. And uh, you might say, well, OK, um, the American scientists, uh, they have the, the noble aim of uh, helping to uh, combat a potential uh, pandemic, uh, whereas the Chinese scientists who are under the authority of the Communist Party government, uh, they certainly are engaged in what we might call, you know, biowarfare uh, science. Uh, and and they're working together uh, doesn't mean that the American scientists, you know, were had nefarious aims. That, that's fine. But the reality is, is that there's plenty of evidence that they work together. I'm just reading. Uh, this is uh, on a website called ProPublica. Uh, and the story has to do with accidents at the University of North Carolina. Researchers had with lab created coronaviruses. Uh, it says here from January 1st, 2015. Through June 1st, 2020, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill reported 28 lab incidents involving genetically engineered organisms to safety officials at the National Institutes of Health. According to documents UNC released to ProPublica under a public records request, six of the incidents involved various types of lab-created coronaviruses. And this, again, this is being overseen by the NIH. So if this was a... Creation at uh, uh, Chapel Hill or the Fort Detrick lab and it leaked. There's certainly precedent for it. And because the NIH oversees this research, Dr. Fauci had to know about it. He did. And uh, interesting thing is uh, there was an interview that was just done uh, with Robert Redfield, who was the CDC director under Trump. And he's being very forthright now. Of course, he's uh, retired from that position, but Uh, He, despite calling himself a good, close friend of Tony Fauci, is saying that uh, Anthony Fauci lied uh, many, many times to Congress when he said that NIH had nothing to do with any gain of function research. Uh, And of course, we've, you know, just any citizen can can find uh, you can go on a government uh, website and find these grant proposals that say otherwise. But I think it is uh, significant that you now have somebody like, uh, uh, you know, this very high official who was uh, very collegial with Tony Fauci saying, yeah, actually, uh, he, he's been lying all along. And th- there's a lot more. I mean, I, I think that uh, when you, when you just step back for a minute and, and look at this, uh, you realize that this, this man, Tony Fauci, who's been in this position as the director of this National Institute uh, for Diseases, uh, infectious diseases. He's been there for 40 years and uh, he's got to the point where it's it's really more about power than any kind of concern for people. I, I think that's that's pretty fair to say. All right, Art, we'll take a quick time. I'll come back and uh, continue to discuss this and other matters. Art Moore, WND, support independent media, WND.com, also co-author of the bestseller, See Something, Say Nothing. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. 
Welcome back. Art Moore stays with us, author at WND and co-author of See Something, Say Nothing. Um, I just want to ask you one more sort of follow-up to our er earlier discussion about this uh, mind-blowing report, a two-year investigation of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, published in the journal The Lancet, medical journal, and uh, that is, it's possible that the uh, virus originated in an American lab, and and uh, that would likely be the Fort Detrick Biological Lab at uh, uh, Chapel Hill in North Carolina. Uh, and that is that if the uh, the Dem or if the Republicans retake the House as is expected in November, uh, there will likely be full on, you know, investigations and hearings and uh, Dr. Fauci will be called to testify again and again and again. Do you think we're actually going to get some sort of confirmation about the origin of the COVID-19 virus uh, with these investigations and hearings finally? I I certainly think it's possible because I, I think for any objective observer, you can piece together information that's already available and come to a pretty good conclusion that uh it 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 was uh, a manufactured virus uh it it came from a lab and that the united states government was very much at the center of funding this research and we, we know very clearly during the obama administration that this kind of research was banned because it's so dangerous and and that it was revived under um circumstances that were less than transparent and forthright. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I do think that, uh, you know, with the ability to uh, have the subpoena power, that's really important is that these House Republicans have the, the force of law to ob- obtain information and to require people to testify. I, I think that I think that we will. Uh, I you know, certainly what what really I think is the big question is, you know, Will the Republicans uh, follow through? Uh, there's certainly a lot of things that they have to focus on uh, that have happened over the past couple of years. But uh, this is this is obviously very, very important because we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, the, this this event of our lives, this cataclysmic event that, that has changed the world. Well, given that Anthony Fauci um, made this ominous warning, people may not remember, but I think it was early in 2016 after um or in uh, early 17, rather, when when President Trump was inaugurated, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that the president, President Trump, will face the challenge of a major pandemic during his first term. I mean, that's kind of a strange prediction to make, you know, two and a half, three years before the pandemic actually broke, don't you think? It It is. Yeah. I mean, there's the whole issue of, of how did this start? But uh, was there any intentionality? I, I think certainly... The, the, you know, the globalists uh, who have been very much you know, people like Bill Gates, for example, have been very much behind development of universal vaccines uh, as as the answer to the world. Um, I, I think at the very least, you know, they they were happy. I'm not saying that they, you know, were happy that people died. I'm just uh, saying that they they were happy that they could test out. Uh, their their theories and their their ideas and and now of course they they may have to uh, tweak them somewhat but I I you know it, it's it's difficult um, we're, we're speculating now but I, I certainly there's there's a lot of strange things that were were said that you know in retrospect uh, raise suspicions 
Uh, all right. I, I got to get your take on uh, this moving uh, to immigration. And uh, I know you wrote about the uh, the migrants that were uh, shipped out from uh, Texas, Governors Greg Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I think it was a stroke of genius as long as they don't overplay their hand here. But uh, I believe it was uh, Governor Abbott of Texas who sent a busload of migrants right to the front door of Vice President Kamala Harris's official residence at the U.S. Naval Observatory. Mm-hmm. Of course, DeSantis sent a mere 50 migrants to uh, Martha's Vineyard and they want to apoplectic. Uh, do you think there is, I mean, um, I think they made an excellent point here. Is there a danger of them over overplaying that uh, where it could turn on them? Well, I, I, I think there is, but I, I think they've really made their point effectively. And, and that is that uh, towns like Del Rio, Texas, which have maybe 30 some thousand people, have been inundated with 400,000 people over the last uh, years or one year, I should say. And and here is Martha's Vineyard, this this Tony elite island where the Obamas, by the way, have a twelve million dollar home with seven rooms and eight and a half baths. Uh, just just saying that there might be some room for some of those people to live. But but, you know, here here you have um, this situation where a huge portion of the country, or at least a certain demographic is is really oblivious to all this. And, and now we're seeing them uh, pay attention. And, and here's two, one thing, too, is uh, mayor of Chicago, mayor of Washington, they both in this past week have said, uh, hey, the federal government needs to step up. That's the Biden administration you need to step up. We need help. This, you know, we're in trouble here. And, and I, I think that's that's good. I think that's a good outcome. And, uh, at, at, you know, at the same time, you, have, you see a lot of these. People virtue signaling and say, you know, these are not good Christians. They say they're Christians and it's it's unchristian and and we should be helping uh, the poor. Of course we should. But uh, the question is, how are we going to do it? And uh, just so happens that these 50 people who are in Martha's Vineyard already, as we speak, have been shipped out. Yeah, they brought in the National Guard, no less. It's an emergency. 50 migrants on our front door. We can't have that. Uh, yeah, big W for Governors Abbott and DeSantis. Uh, how do we get a copy of See Something, Say Nothing, Art? Yeah, best way, uh, thanks, Richard, is to go to Amazon.com and type in See Something, Say Nothing. It's a terrific book. Very important to read. Art, thank you for thank your you. time. Have a great weekend. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Richard. And now, your Lim Riddler answer and this week's winners. All right, this week's Lim Riddle. It's called The Boss's Job. Why switch your job for the bosses instead? Which vena cava draws blood from your head? What mother sang themes of mountains and dreams? Where's Edmund Fitzgerald still minding the dead? I know, Jacob, you got it. You got the answer. No, I thought you were pointing to yourself gleefully when I had uh, the Lim Riddler on. Okay, well, the answer is superior, superior. Why switch your job for the bosses instead? The boss's job might be superior to yours. In fact, your boss was once called your superior. Which vena cava draws blood from your head? The superior vena cava. It returns deoxygenated blood from the upper part of the body to the right atrium. What mother sang themes of mountains and dreams? The motion picture Sound of Music featured Mother Abbas, a.k.a. Mother Superior, played by Peggy Wood. And she sang Climb Every Mountain. Uh, Where is Edmund Fitzgerald still minding the dead? Superior. Lake Superior, they said, never gives up her dead. And the first five to answer correctly were Duncan Ruxton, Thunder Bay, Joe Nemet of Kincardine, Christine DeSavita of Stony Creek, Tom Dibley of Halliburton, and Ryan Myers. 
who goes by Citizen of the World. What? How did he get in here? We don't allow citizens of the world. Anyway, congratulations all. Don't forget, next starting next uh, week, we'll be giving away uh, a pair of tickets to the home games for the Mississauga Steelheads for one lucky winner for the Lim Riddler. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back next week to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you Monday at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Monday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.